Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, a co-production of EWTN Radio and SpiritualDirection.com, where we provide you with a spiritual haven of rest and explore the riches of the wisdom of the saints and the path to union with God. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest. Your hermitage of the heart. Your monastery of the mind, where we lift our hearts and minds to heaven to draw upon the wisdom of the saints so that we can navigate the incredible storm that we're in. God be praised. Why praise the Lord for a storm? Because the storm denotes that he's at work. The The storm storm shows us that he's here. The storm is the oppor- is the context within which saints are born. Right. It's the context, the difficulties and the and the struggles that we face on on the highest level. If you look through church history, look at the look at the incredible saints that emerged out of the Protestant revolt. Mm. You know, Teresa of Avila, uh, Ignatius of Loyola, Saint John of Avila. You know, Saint Peter of Alcantara. I mean, I could just go on, on and on. That's really beautiful. Say that again. The, the storm. The storm is the place out of which saints emerge. That's really beautiful. Yeah. We should really think about that. Well, and it's interesting. My book's coming out, Finding Peace in the Storm. Mm-hmm. And the reason those saints emerged out of it is because their hearts were just deeply oriented to God. Mm-hmm. And and they were able to provide a unique light and perspective. They were not swept away by their times because they're staring at Jesus, not at the waves. Mm-hmm. They're staring at Jesus, not at the waves. So finding peace through the storm, you can already pre-order it out at spiritualdirection.com. It's not the subject of our talk today. However, um, it is true, though, if we're facing Jesus, we're facing the Eucharist. We're facing the Eucharist. We're not being overcome by the storm. And that's why Father Jesse Mango is with us today. Welcome back, Father Jesse. Great to be back here with you guys. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's awesome to be with you before we kind of get into what we wanted to talk about today i wanted to ask so you're a dominican priest of the mm-hmm. Ir- irish province uh you're from trinidad tobago um what like tell me a little bit about your 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 priestly call and then i want to but i want to kind of shape it around why your life really is oriented to Eucharistic revival. I mean, what's happening in the church right now, you know, mm. um, your your heart is oriented to that reality. So give us a little background and tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I'll try, yeah, I'll try and pitch that in terms of Eucharistic adoration and sure. revival. I grew up in a fairly Catholic, um, faithful home, um, certainly um, with lots of witnesses of people who are really living their faith. In, in profound ways, um, especially my, on my my dad's side, um, with his parents and and uh, cousins, and and even on my mom's side, my my uncle and his wife had a profound kind of conversion in a Marian apparition shrine in Venezuela, uh, where they were where my aunt was healed from not being able to have children after mm. ten years, mm. and so you know we started to gather to pray the rosary as a family every week. Um, also the instigation too of, of my grandmother after a profound experience she had in Medjugorje. So, you know, there was a lot of witness of prayer and, you know, my grandparents were very involved in in a lot of charity, which always stood out to me. 
But one of the things they would do is that after they would pick me up from school, they would bring me to an adoration chapel uh, called the Center for Peace in Trinidad, uh, which was started by a lay couple after they had been converted in Medjugorje. They came back to Trinidad and realized that they wanted to create a sanctuary, a place of prayer, so that people could come and drink deeply from, from the Eucharistic Lord. Mm. And also they did great work to, to support priests, etc. So as a kid, I would go there and I could still remember the peace of that chapel. You know, maybe it was because there was air conditioning as well in hot Trinidad. <laughs> yeah. But there was a peace there and my grandmother's sister would often be doing some hours and we'd be picking her up and you know going back home. So that kind of stands out. I drifted away from my faith. I won't go into a conversion story full blown, but I drifted away from my faith, became agnostic. And then for a while, for maybe a year, two years, just I would describe myself as an atheist in the sense that I had come to this point where I didn't believe in God at all. And, but of course, the Lord starts to pull through, I think, the prayers of my mother in a very particular way and prayers of so many in the family to pull my heart back to the Lord. And so then I had a conversion on a kind of reversion back to the faith in a church, which, which turns out to be called the Church of Corpus Christi. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the Church of the Body of the Lord. And it was at communion time. So I often reflect on this now because as my life, after coming back into Christ and to follow the Catholic faith, after this devotion to the Eucharist really developing more and more through a series of encounters with, with really wonderful books, you know, that set my heart on fire. And uh, in particular with one priest who had profound, his life was completely ordered to the Eucharist. And he seemed to be truly what the church means by source and summit. Mm. So he had a profound impact on my life. And it was the devotion, the desire for the Eucharist was already there, so it just deepened. And so it made more sense why the Lord had come to meet me at time of Holy Communion. When I went up to Holy Communion, I didn't receive actually. Something had stopped me from receiving. And I think that was the Lord protecting me because I wasn't in a state of grace. I hadn't been to confession in years. And something I just, I kind of felt like a hypocrite for receiving. And, and so I just went up for a blessing. Nevertheless, uh, it was a very powerful, life-changing moment and experience. And I guess it has marked my life to be converted in a church called Church of Corpus Christi at communion time. So since then, I've like tried to devote my prayer time principally to adoring the Lord in the tabernacle and when possible to, to have exposition. And I could safely say that it has just transformed my life. And the more that I've tried to give myself more to that over the years, I've seen just interior freedom. And I'm convinced, you know, Blessed Carlos Ocutis, the great Eucharistic saint, the most recent kind of uh, beatified Italian saint, said the Eucharist is the shortcut to heaven. And it's true. Mm. Because when we are before Jesus in the Eucharist, <clears throat> we're before Jesus Christ himself, yeah. who is the source of all grace. St. John tells us he is full of grace and truth. And so when we sit before Jesus in the Eucharist, he's truly and utterly there. Then we are the source of, of what sanctifies our mind and our heart, and our will. And so I believe that spending as much time with Him is the greatest deliverance from evil we could experience. Mm -hmm. The greatest, it's He is the deliverer. Mm -hmm. And the time before Him is silent. It can seem ineffective, and it can seem like a waste of time because not much is happening. In your perception. In my perception. But that's why faith, you know, because faith 
Um, and I believe for me personally, I feel that because we clearly see from the, the quotes and the statistics that so many Catholics have fallen away from true faith in the Eucharist, which means that they've cut themselves off, which explains why Catholics don't look like what Catholics are supposed to look like, mm-hmm. you know, which looks like church looks like she has a power outage. It's not true because she has the source of the Lord himself, but it, it looks at times we're suffering a power outage. Yeah. But that's because people are not disposed to the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. They're not preparing well before mass. You know, we're not, and I include myself in that in my journey over the years. I've had to learn and I still struggle to, to make sure I'm preparing well for, for the mass, that, that I linger enough in Thanksgiving after mass. And so the, these are just some ideas. I mean, there's so many ways, you know, I mean, one of my favorite quotes about the Eucharist comes from Pope Benedict quoting St. Edith Stein, very simple quote. And he says that, and, and he quotes her as saying, anybody with a normal brain, basically, anybody with normal feelings and a healthy heart believing Jesus is in the Eucharist would want to go and visit him as much as possible and whenever possible. And it's as simple as that. And because when we look at the Eucharist, we look at a person. It's not a thing. It's not a container. We're looking at the divine person, Jesus Christ himself, mm-hmm. who mysteriously is in heaven at the right side of the Father. and We are brought to him. It's not so much that Jesus leaves heaven to come to us, rather than when we're in adoration, we're actually being brought to his presence at the right mm-hmm. side of the Father. That's the true movement. And he's allowing us to, to enter that atmosphere of heaven in adoration, in a very special way. We, we, I think it's the closest place on earth that we get to be like our brothers and sisters, the saints in heaven, where they look upon the Lamb directly with their eyes. We look upon him directly, but with faith. But he is really there. Can I ask you so, a, yeah. a question? I think it's a perception-breaking question. Please. Or, or a reality. I, I've spent a lot of time meditating on the person of Jesus in the first century. And we've been blessed in our time with a lot of good art, like the Passion of the Christ, the Chosen series, um, that really helps to give us holy imagination. What's the difference between a Christian in the first century walking beside Jesus? I always like this idea of Jesus mm. walking with me mm. to Jericho, or me walking with Jesus to Jericho and mm-hmm. having this conversation where he's revealing <laughs> my heart to me, he's mm. healing me, mm. he's loving me, or we're just being together in silence and just you know, I know who I know he's the Messiah in all of that. What's the difference between that walk between Jerusalem and Jericho and being in the mm-hmm. presence of the Eucharist? So I will say that there's a difference and there is not a difference mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So there's not a difference in a sense that the same Jesus Christ who were with the disciples in the Holy Land in Galilee is mm-hmm. present utterly and completely, as the te- church teaches us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. In the Eucharist. It's him. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people get caught up on the word sacrament and Eucharist as if it can almost be a barrier. Yeah. Just just think it's him. Yeah. He's there as a person in the room and close your eyes and go, wow. You yeah. know, that's that's my <laughs> prayer time. Wow. Yeah. Awe and wonder. This is Jesus Christ. The yeah. same Jesus Christ in heaven, adored by angels and saints, is in front of me. It's incredible. And that is what that how that is how my prayer began as a novice. Uh, or even before I came to the Dominican order. But in the novitiate, I was allowed time. I think many distractions were taken from me, and I needed the help of that to settle into a deep life of prayer and just go, wow, Jesus, you're here? Yeah. And believe like a child. 
Yeah. And it's that faith that scatters the darkness. It's this is Jesus. Now, so there is a difference in the mm-hmm. sense that he's just sacramentally present. Yeah. So he's not present in the same way that he was with them. But that shouldn't be a barrier. It just means that it's a new way of him being present, but he's yeah. still being fully present uh, as a person. He can it's a way he can be present in a sense while being in heaven with every single living being yes. who wants to be present with him yes. where they can find the Eucharist. So yeah. we're coming to a break. So. When we get back from the break, I want to just keep breaking these barriers and digging into these mysteries. Because when you, when you go on pilgrim, well, when you read the New Testament, you read how an apostle who is, who is traveling through an area touches mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and then another person touches it and they get healed. Yes. There's this there's this impregnation of matter and time and space. However, this yes. great grace and mystery that happens with people who are not God and man. I want to talk I want to dig into this people I don't think we understand well and I'm sure I don't as uh-huh. well how it is that even just being in silence that graces are flowing there's something supernatural happening here mm-hmm. that can only happen here in this context of us in the Eucharist. And so we'll be right back. The beautiful fact that no suffering is wasted, that all suffering has a purpose. And to wrestle with the idea, which is that everything that happens in our lives is either willed or permitted by God. Okay, God, why would you permit these things? I know that you're a good father and you're a loving father. So there's something there. So I have to bridge this gap between your permission of my suffering to your love for me as a father. And Uniformity with God's Will, the book by by St. Alphonsus Liguori, bridges that gap. And he explains, as only he can, because he's such a hard hitter, the reality that these are all moments of growth, of virtue, of hey your legs are weak you're like a newborn deer you can't stand on your own we need to get you to stand on your own you know those sorts of things even even desolation you know the day-to-day kind of the ebbs and flows of the spiritual life those things are all permitted for a greater good whatever that might be check out the brand new updated version of uniformity with god's will titled finding peace in the storm with commentary by dan burke Welcome back to Divine Intimacy Radio. You're with Dan and Stephanie Burke and Father Jesse Mango, uh, not smelled, not spelled like mango fruit. That's Mongo <laughs> if you're in Hispanic. Yeah, Thank Mongo. You. I'm sorry, I'm fixed. You know. That's how we say it in Trinidad, Mongo. How do you say Mongo? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so it's, it's re- not. It's, so it's really distinct. Jesse yeah. <laughs> Mongo. There's um, no, there's by the way, no, there's no mixing it up. If people want to f- uh, find you, you also have something you do called heart reach. Do you want to tell them about that before we jump in? Yeah. The- so that's a mainly on a WhatsApp group, but it gets those videos that I post nearly daily go up onto something called Dominican house of prayer Okay. on YouTube. So and just look up Dominican house of prayer on YouTube and you can see all the videos there for the last couple of years. And also father Ignatius Schweitz, another Dominican from the Eastern province who teaches he, for us, who teaches for you guys. He's a friend. He, yeah. I, he's, he's like, Om, om, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's leading retreats all over the place and he does formation for a lot of different religious orders. And he puts up his retreats that he gives to 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 the different monasteries throughout the states. And so if people want to do their own retreat, they can go and listen to one of the retreats on the Dominican House of Prayer. That's fantastic. So before the break, I set up this question to try to, I'm just trying to break through 
misperceptions or a lack of an, and build up faith. Why is it that someone could be in the incarnational reality of Jesus in the first century? Yes. In my view, one of the reasons why Mary is so yeah. extraordinary holy yeah. is because one, you know, they share DNA. He was present. He was in her womb, yeah. you know, and, and but I, I have this belief that if I were in the first century and I was standing next to him, yes. nothing transpiring, that grace yes. would be flowing in an extraordinary way. And it would only be able to touch you if you had faith. Yes. So again and again in the Gospels, we see that people are close to him and he said, like the woman who touched me, mm. power went out of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you could be standing right in front of the tabernacle. You could be going to mass and your heart is closed and not disposed. And, and yes, it's still the best place to be, be because because the grace is coming and trying to soften your heart and invite you. But unless you're prepared, unless you make that act of faith, you won't enter into it more fully. Yeah. But if you go to adoration, you go to the Holy Mass with faith, hope, and love. Those are the main virtues of the spiritual life that open us up to God's transforming power. Faith first, the primacy of faith, but obviously love being the queen and the crown because mm -hmm. it's love is the actual union with God. Then God is transforming us, as St. Paul says, in, in ways beyond our wildest imagination by the Spirit. Even this life in us that we cannot see. There's a divine life, a treasure, and an earthenware vessel that we will only fully appreciate when we go to heaven, what we've been carrying, or who we've been on earth mm -hmm. by baptism, by the life of grace. But Jesus is alive and active. You're right. He's alive and active in the Holy Eucharist. And there's this analogy of, of going in the sun. When you put yourself in the sun, you get a suntan. You just put yourself there. You don't see it happening. No, but you dispose yourself. You know, you yeah. take your, you, you make sure your skin is revealed and yeah. it took some work. Yeah. But the sun, and it's, adoration is like a spiritual radiation suntan in the sense that Jesus is alive and active when we're present before him with an open heart. He's transforming us, again, as the scripture says, into glory to glory. His face, you know. Now that takes great faith. But, and when it transforms me, it's transforming the whole church. Mm. We must remember the mystical body of Christ doctrine, that what happens to one happens to all. Mm. So we want to put the lights back on. We can do it for ourselves and others if we get, we spend more time in adoration. Yeah, well, you're drawing grace into your heart, but into the hearts of all sorts of people. When you celebrate Mass, or even the priests, you know, you don't know who is about to commit suicide. Yeah. Mm. And they're called back from that by, mm. by light and grace. We don't know, like there's so many scenes, blessed Dina Belanger, great, great, uh, blessed from Canada. And who was at the time of Faustina, both of them almost same revelations. They didn't, they didn't even know each other. Faustina as well, St. Faustina. They tell us what the Lord showed them, like all these souls on the precipice of lo losing their eternal life. Wow. Hell. Yeah. And after an hour of adoration, where they were, mm. how they were drawn back by the power of the prayer. Wow. Now you could say, oh, this is nice pious talk. But these are great saints who have been given profound insight into the spiritual world. Yeah. So, so the, and one thing I would say, the advantage we have to those disciples in the early century is that blessed are those who have not seen so but believe. Well, I would say so, because think of it. Yeah. I mean, he said it. And St. Thomas Aquinas says Jesus on the cross, it's hard to see his divinity on the cross, right? Yeah. He did see his divinity when he was in Galilee doing all the miracles. But we don't even see his humanity. Mm -hmm. We look at something that looks like bread. Our senses betray us. Mm -hmm. right. But faith comes to see his faith. 
face, as St. Yeah. Thomas says. Faith alone sees his face. Yeah. And so it's like, you're there, and because we believe that is highly meritorious for our soul, and that's why St. Thomas Aquinas says that that's why the Lord has left us in his wisdom hidden. It's more meritorious to make an act of faith for the unseen Christ in the Eucharist. It's right. it's more meritorious, and right. actually it brings great glory. Yeah. So for the the practical in yes. me, you know, comes out. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a teacher and everything. So, God be, um, God be praised. And so for for the folks out there that you know, because we've seen the data that's come out, and we all mm -hmm. know many many people who have just lost hope. They've lost faith. Um, they've lost the fervor that maybe they once had yes. or, or they would have experienced. For those that are listening that are going, you know, I I don't know, this this sounds good, you know, and I'd, I'd like it to be true. But Father Jesse, how do I get faith mm -hmm. when I have no faith? How Because mm -hmm. you were there. You went to a, such a point where you mm -hmm. say you would, you would claim that you were an atheist. Yeah. So how do you get there from where you are? Well, first of all, faith is a gift. It's a grace from God. A grace God likes to give. <laughs> and I, think wants to give. I think that's key, right? Yeah. yeah. And that promises to give is the other key. And so if we are asking for the gift already, the Holy Spirit is birthing that desire in my heart. So pay attention to that. If you pray for the gift of faith, you're already entering the realm of faith. And so first of all, pray. Ask God for faith. And if your life is in a state of, you know, if you're not living a godly life, you're not in a living in a state of sin, ask God to bring you out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, save me, God. Like Peter, Lord, save me. And what did the Lord do? Immediately he stretched out his hands. It's the same Lord who wants to do that for us. The next thing is prayer. You know, some people say, well, Father Jesse, how, I don't experience much when I go to adoration. Well, then I say, well, how often do you go to adoration? Is it just once a week, just for 10 minutes? Is it, you know, the different stages to it and the life of prayer? We know that, right? There's aridity, there's dryness. But I think that there's a special consolation that is given in Eucharistic adoration that you won't get in other forms of prayer because there his body is present. And it's most appropriate relational for way of him being present to us as us being human beings, body to body. As Teresa would say, or any of the great doctors on prayer, it's, you want to learn about prayer? Pray. Yeah. And pray more. And stick to it. And get a friend who will hold you accountable. And say, mm -hmm. come, we're going to adoration. Because it's it's the perseverance that will bear fruit. And that's my experience. Maybe it's yours as well. Throughout the years, Jesus, there's a lot in the Eucharistic heart of Christ that he wants to reveal to us. Only fidelity. It's like the gospel, right? Jesus doesn't tell and reveal his intimacy to the disciples all at the beginning. Yeah. The transfiguration came after many years of discipleship mm -hmm. or many journeys. So the point is, he will reveal himself in degrees to the adorer according to how generous they are to, to him and how much he will reveal the pearl of his own heart according to their fidelity. Key, key principle. I remember writing my first book. I read a book and there was a quote in it, writers write. Mm. And uh, and so I started writing every single day and then I got good at it. And then I've written a ton of books since then. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, like a dream to be able to serve this pe pe the people this way. P prayers pray. People who pray, mm. pray. People who know <laughs> yeah. how to pray, pray. And, and that's a big thing. I would recommend Super Practical, Into yes. the Deep. I wrote a book on Lexio Divina, 
um, one of the things I think is not gr the greatest advice that yeah. is, and, and I had a, a woman who I think is going to become a saint. I had a conversation with her named yeah. Michelle Dupong and she was a focused missionary and she was, you know, they have a requirement where you spend an hour a day in adoration. She mm -hmm. said she was extremely frustrated when we had this conversation. She's obviously passed away now. Um, she said, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so to get down to brass tacks of what to do, the first thing is just show up. Number and one, rest, show up, just sit and rest from the tumult of life. Right. Just show wow. up and rest before Jesus. Yeah. But sometimes people like me, your mind is like a know, monkey. I got something. a monkey mind. Yeah. yeah. And too. so you have to direct your thoughts in a particular way. So just take out the gospel of John, you know, read into the deep, take out the gospel of John and, and read it and look up at the Lord. And, you know, if anything moves your heart, if praise or, or, or forgiveness or anything, say it or do it. But don't, I think one big thing is don't go in going, I'm going to feel something. And, yeah. and my success is whether or not I feel something right, right. that's, that'll get you frustrated. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great principle of this prayer life, spiritual, a great principle of spiritual life for prayer mm -hmm. is that we don't go to pray for us. We go to there to, for the sake of God, for the mm -hmm. sake of his love, to give him mm -hmm. glory and to, to adore him. And the fruit of that often would be just strength and peace. Like even if we walk away with no peace, I often quote this about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who experienced such darkness, yet she knew that time of adoration was absolutely indispensable to her and her sisters for their life. When they committed to daily adoration, their vocations went up. Mm. And she would say that the moment they did that is when their ministry exploded too. So the Lord gives you something in adoration, whether you feel it or not. And often you won't experience it till later on in the day. And often as you become a regular adorer and being with Christ there, you will then start to see the difference, even if you feel it or not. And often people will feel the sweetness of being with the Lord. And I would, I would say most adorers would feel that. Some don't because God may have a different cross for them in their prayer life. So we're running out of time. Okay. One yeah. book recommendation. Sure. What is it to help them get? Uh... Well, I would recommend... The Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. The Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. Translated by Victoria Schneider, published by Scepter Publishing, and it's on the life of St. Manuel Garcia and his writings. It's fantastic. Dominican House of Prayer, Father Jesse Mango. 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 You got it right Mango. the first time. I did. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being with us, Father Jesse. It's been a real gift have you on the show today. Steph, you want to take us out? Uh, so until next time, may the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Learn more about the interior life. Visit spiritualdirection.com. Divine Intimacy Radio is a co-production of EWTN Radio and spiritualdirection.com and heard worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.